The evil Titan has finally devised a cunning plan to capture Captain Troy Tempest and the Stingray crew. And all he had to do was send out the special tokens on Weedabix packets. <laughs> Stand by for action. Hello, we are the Bloopcast. I'm Ewan. I'm Jade. And I'm Rob. And the question is, why are we the Bloopcast? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, sir. So today, we are returning to the world of Supernatural Nation as we discuss Jerry and Sylvia Anderson's 1964 series, Stingray. Stingray. Yeah. So this is a... Very fascinating show, really. Stingray is set in the year 2065, so the same year as Thunderbirds, although as far as the show's concerned, they do not take place in the same universe. And we followed the exploits of the World Aquanaut Security Patrol, an organisation designated to keep peace within Earth's oceans. Our protagonist is Troy Tempest, the pilot of the submarine craft known as Stingray. Alongside his lieutenant, Phones, and the voiceless merwoman, Marina, Troy does battle with the various undersea races that seek to destroy the Terranians, most notably the tyrannical leader of Titanica Titan and his service agent X-20. Troy is also joined by Commander Shaw and his daughter Atlanta, and Lieutenant Fisher who reside on the Wasp's headquarters Marineville, and in a few episodes they are accompanied by Marina's pet seal named Oink. <laughs> Oink is really cute. Oink! <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, do, you know, do you know who did Oink's voice? Who's that? Um, David Graham, who went on to voice Parker, Brains, and Gordon Tracy in Thunderbirds. Oh, uh, I can see it. There's a connection between okay. Brains and Oink. <laughs> <laughs> so, my understanding from the intro of Stingray, and the era, I guess, is that this was the first uh, Super Marionation film that was all done like with color in mind right like yeah it, it was yeah. actually the it was the first british tv series to be filmed in color oh yeah wow yes yeah, so, yeah so i knew just, it was something quite like so that, yeah the story behind that is um so last year when we did our thunderbirds episode i kind of spoke about how jerry was lumbered with working with puppets in the late 1950s making unintentionally nightmarish shows like torture the battery boy for a woman called roberta lee and after that he kind of broke away from that and did um, a puppet western called four feather falls and then mm. he did supercar which was financed by a guy called lou gray who um he was the head of a company called itc and that was followed by fiber xl5 which was a science fiction series about um, a spaceship called Five Alexa Five. Obviously, I think it was the only one of Je of Jerry and Sylvia's shows that was actually shown on a US network. It was shown on NBC, and because of that success, um, Lou Grade outright bought the company, like Jerry's company. So that gave them more of a budget when they came to do Stingray. Mm. Yeah, you can definitely see that budget here. Um, it, it's like. You you keep mentioning the puppets, and I'll be honest, my my brain. I, I think some at some point while watching every episode, uh, <laughs> I just kind of I kind of just clocked out of the fact that they're puppets. Yeah. Um, because yeah. they are like 
between between the minute between the miniature sets and the puppets themselves, it's really well done. It's, like it, everything's just so smooth. Absolutely. The thing is, the way it's all shot is that it actually sub, it kind of submerges you into the world really nicely. Uh -huh. I mean, just like everything. I feel like the world of Stingray almost, and I think Funbirds as well, is that it functions as its own thing. It kind of this is how the world looks and stuff like that. This is how we all perceive it here. And the more you watch of it, and the more you see how like the characters function and react, and how the machines work. How, also, those little live action shots as well, with the puppeteers like uh, moving the hands and stuff like that. It feels like it's yes. its own functional reality almost, and you accept it. You do begin to accept it almost. If all, it does the. It's yeah. almost like a magic trick. It almost like deceives you into thinking it's, you know, absolutely. Real. I think Jerry Anderson himself said like. They're not puppets once when he was talking about his shows and stuff like that. He's adamant that this is, like, meant to, like, convince viewers that this is the real show, you know, mm -hmm. do you know I mean? The real thing. It helps that the scripts are really tight as well. The scripts, they're really well, like, the scripts are really well written. And I think the same with, like, animated shows. Like, if the writing's, like, really good, sometimes you forget you're watching a cartoon. It's the same here. You forget you're watching puppets. Yeah. Uh, I think it helps, script-wise, it helps a lot that they are 25 minutes. I mm. think that especially compared to Thunderbirds where they're about 50 minutes right like there's definitely a lot less padding in these yes. episodes everything's very tight um you know there's there's very few scenes where where you have extended shots of them entering Stingray over and over like like you do with Thunderbirds and you know like Thunderbirds the whole mm -hmm. intro of them blasting off is really cute and fun but it's like once you've seen that about 15 to 20 times it's like okay all right i think the thing is with thunderbirds that that's that brings me into my point is why i prefer i actually have said this on twitter i prefer stingray over thunderbirds massively and my own dad my own dad disagrees with me massively on this uh <laughs> so i had a, a long conversation saying like, no when you were a kid you know when thunderbirds was on that was like the real stuff man you know uh, stingray's nothing in comparison but here's the thing I think Thunderbirds goes on for way too long. It suffers from this problem that I have with a lot of TV shows where it does not need to be 40 minutes long. And every episode does not need to be a little movie. I'm sorry. You can just minimise the story. Get out what you need to get out. Abbreviate it. And then, as a result of that, you focus more on the quality of the content rather than... I found myself zoning out on Thunderbirds, for instance. Like I felt like the scenes were too long. I felt like there were too many shots that was just spent... You know, they were unnecessary that I thought that could be cut out. With Stingray, it's just like, right, we're going to leave in everything we need and we're going to focus on what's important. And that, and that I think, add, like, adds to the entertainment value. It kept me more engaged as well. That's, I'm with, unlike with Thunderbirds, I could only watch like, a few episodes and a movie and stuff. Like with Stingray, I watched the whole thing. And I think it's mm. due to the tightness of the script, as you say, the running time. There's good variety in the episode as well like i think another thing that thunderbird suffers with is this thing where what's the plot uh the plot <laughs> is a thing's blowing up or something's gone wrong yeah they fly over they rescue it that's that's the plot and like mm. you know i'm not saying every episode is like that. that that's not the case there's plenty of great episodes in thunderbird but like this episode you've got or this series you've got what about 30 episodes or just over 30 episodes and all of them, like, I can remember them really distinctly mm. um, because so few of them, 
are similar to each other. Like there's yeah. there's a few where you go like, okay, they run into like a weird alien race underwater, and and the you know they're yes. bad guys. And you like fine. There's a couple like that, but then you also have such weird ones like the villain um, X two zero. I love that trying... character. <laughs> oh, he's brilliant. He's he's Peter Laurie. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> where he's like trying, he's he's trying to brainwash the character phones by like making him think he's going crazy <laughs> with the therapy thing. Oh, yeah. Like. You know, like it's absolutely nuts. Like he, he like changes the room so it spins around. Oh, it's and, like, so and, clever. You know, and you just think, what is going on? This is brilliant. All right, Mr. Fawns. Now open your eyes for a moment and tell me your thoughts. Boy, have I gone crazy? This room. It, it's changed. Say, what's going on? What are you talking about, Mr. Fonz? Surely you're not having another hallucination, are you? And there's about three dream sequence episodes as well. And most notably is one called Tom Dumb Tempest, which is about them, the Singray crew going into a fish tank and then the realizing them in this giant room and all their villains are having a dinner party where they're going to discuss them how to destroy Marineville. And it's so out there and weird. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it's it's placing the the puppets as they actually are, you know, about, I don't know, about uh, knee height, I guess. Like, the puppets are about knee height or about just a bit, bit taller. Um, placing them in an actual normal human environment where they're all shrunk. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's a really fun little kind of, you know, in, inside joke. My but... absolute hope was that Jerry Anderson and the puppeteers were going to show up going like, right, what are we going to do for this episode, guys? Right, what are we going to do? Uh, X20 is going to try and hypnotise phones? Was that what we're going to do? And the puppets would be just like, oh my god, what are these giants doing here? <laughs> and I was just, I was really hoping that would be the case. I still love that episode, but, yeah. um, you know, I would have loved that. There's a brilliant short film on YouTube, which you can watch. Uh, that does this idea perfectly. It's the first ever brick film. Brick film is an animated genre involving stop motion with Legos. Um, mm. And there's this short film. You might have heard of it. It's called The Magic Portal. And it's a 20... Uh, yes. You've heard of this one. Brilliant. So it's 20 minute long short film. The earliest... One of the earliest examples of uh, stop motion animation with Lego. And it's about yeah. these little Lego characters in the spaceship. And it starts off with them like in this sort of world. You feel almost immersed in this world that they're in. Where they're on a spaceship... They encounter aliens, they encounter a clay monster. But then it gets a bit weird when they jump through a magic portal and then they jump into the real world and find the animator. And then the animator's like, what? <laughs> you, you've like unlocked like a really old memory in my brain. Because when I was younger, I used to like absurdly watch uh, Lego animations. Same. Like, you know, and uh, Forest Fire Films, I'll give a little shout out, was mm. phenomenal um, with his Lego Batman uh, videos but yeah no you're right like just the idea of you know kind of the fourth wall breaking i suppose it was good that they never did have jerry anderson appear in any of the episodes because i don't know it might have like kids just wouldn't have got it it would all. have ruined the immersion potentially um, you're quite yeah right. yeah the, the, the magic of you still want to be immersed in the story um it would be like if if jim hent Jim Henson like pops up in the Muppets. It's like no. I bet you he has. I bet you he has. I'm sure he did, but that was more like outside of 
the show mm. um like you know when they're doing interviews and stuff but like you know i don't i don't want to see kermit you know suddenly <laughs> a bearded guy underneath the table appears and hey like, no. mr puppeteer hi there hi <laughs> hello kermit hello out there yeah it's nice to be here right? <laughs> are you gonna be on the special tomorrow night uh, kermit no you're not on the no, special? No, you know, they gave, they gave me one lousy line. <laughs> you know, no, I, I'm not going to work that show. So we've jumped right into this um, conversation. So <laughs> I think um, we should go on to how we discovered Stingray. Much like with Thunderbirds, I can't really remember the first time I saw Stingray as a child, as I was really young. I know I had a VHS tape which had the episode Ghost Ship alongside an episode of Fireball XL5. And we will put a clip of the theme tune to Fireball XL5 with the closing credits theme because... It is wonderful, and it'll be in your heads for at least a week when you hear it. <laughs> I wish I was a spaceman, the fastest guy alive. I'd fly you around the universe in Fireball XL5. Way out in space together, conquers of the sky. My heart would be a fireball, a fireball. And I had another tape which had um, the episode Trapped in the Depths alongside a Captain Scarlet episode and I had another tape which was recorded off the TV because I think I think when I was really little, um, CBBC, when it was on BBC2, would show it in, in some morning, so we videotaped episodes of that. Hi, good morning! Welcome to another Breakfast Club here on Children's BBC. Coming up for you another chance to see yesterday afternoon's Run the Risk. Are you ready to do that? Also wishing another exciting, nail-biting edition of Woodlane Television. But first of all, it's time for Stingray. And as well as this, my uncle had a VHS tape of a compilation film called Invaders from the Deep, which took episodes from the TV shows to make a TV movie. I used to borrow that sometimes, and I think eventually ended up with the, that tape because he ended up giving us loads of videotapes, and that was one of them. And I had a number of the of Stingray toys as well, namely I had a Marineville playset which was to scale with the diecast Stingray toy. And I also had this uh, largest plastic Stingray toy which fitted the action figures in. And when I was about three years old, me and my family went on a holiday to Suffolk. And while we were there, we went to a toy shop that was in some high street and they had fancy dress costumes there. And they had a costume of Troy Tempest, who's the main character from Stingray. Um, my parents bought it for me and as soon as we left I started taking my clothes off in the middle of this high street because I wanted to wear the Troy Tempest outfit. Oh no. So my dad had no <laughs> oh my So my dad had no choice but to change me into my Troy Tempest outfit. And in around I think it was two thousand and one, so I'd have been about seven years old, the BBC after they'd finished showing Thunderbirds, they started um, showing Stingray. And that's why I we're doing Stingray now because we did Thunderbirds last year and I wanted to follow the order the BBC showed Jerry Anderson shows him in both the 90s and the 2000s. Around that time that it was re-released on VHS and TV and around this time my dad went to Worth to buy me a Buzz Like You're a Star Command video because the one we taped with the TV got taped over with like Teletubbies or something and when I got home he hadn't just bought Buzz Lightyear he bought this box set VHS box set, which had the first three volumes of Stingray. And I was really excited about this because I got to see episodes I hadn't seen before, including the very first episode. And yeah, I think I've watched Stingray a couple of times as an adult. And it's a show I've always enjoyed, but not quite as much as I do Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. But re-watching it for this episode, 
I had a lot of fun like watching the show. I still prefer like, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet, but I can see why James prefers Stingray. And like, I think while I was watching it, it was announced that Stingray was being released on Blu-ray in April in a deluxe box set. And I placed my pre-order for that, and I'm really excited to be able to own it in HD. Mm. Lovely. That's me? exciting, yeah. Right, so Stingray, believe it or not, I was aware of Stingray when I was a little kid. I know it's a fact, because, um, I mean, Thunderbirds was on TV a lot, but I never really paid much attention to Thunderbirds, because I was just uh, too busy watching probably Samurai Jack or Powerpuff Girls or something. Um, but one day Stingray came up on TV. I think it, was, it wasn't it was around, you know, sort of like the hours where children's television is showing. It was kind of like a midday showing, so I, was, I think I was off sick or something like that. So I was off sick at uh watching tv and there's these weird programs you get midday and then stingray kind of popped up and i thought oh this looks a bit like thunderbirds but it's underwater wow that's interesting but then i didn't i just proceeded not to watch it which is probably quite foolish on my end i think it's because i thought i, I thought it was going to be like some sort of like rescue adventure story where they'll go under having underwater adventures saving people that are you know struggling underwater or whatever or saving boats or whatever that have like uh, gotten st stuck at sea or something like that but many years later rob was telling us about stingray and we prepared it for this episode so i went ahead and started watching it thinking okay let's see how this goes and then i got greeted to the first episode which was absolutely bonkers and <laughs> fantastic because like suddenly i realized that this show had a lot of sci-fi elements that i didn't think were going to be present before with like a, like you know uh, underwater civilizations and weird uh well i think he described it as like ocean aliens or underwater aliens you and um and that kind of really got me hooked i thought actually this is pretty good so i've now i mean it's a it's only kind of recently that i've gotten into it but now i'm kind of obsessed with stingray um and i'll get into a bit more of that uh as we continue but yeah that's i know it's quite short but that's how i got introduced to stingray very nice, very yeah. nice. Rob said we were going to do an episode on Stingray, and then I watched all the episodes for Stingray, and that's my entire background. <laughs> my knowledge of Stingray <laughs> prior to this. Um, I like how I, I fluffed mine up a bit, and then you just kind of went to the point. Because <laughs> I'm the same. I'm in the same boat as you. I think my like, um, you know, I, I grew up on. I, I grew up on Thunderbirds. I knew about Thunderbirds, um, but I just. I don't know how Stingray just passed me by. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a strange one. I guess because, like, I don't know, maybe people see it as, like, the Aquaman of, of like, Thunderbirds, where it's, like, nobody cares about Aquaman. But, like, I guess I, my pitch would be, for people who do think that, is that it, it's got a lot more going on in it than just, yeah, rescuing boats or something. You know, like, there's there's a lot of great stuff in it. Um, as I said, there's a lot of weird variety. Uh, but yes, no, I, I, I have barely any background for Stingray, I'm afraid to say, just because, mm. um, like, I don't, I don't have much background for Captain Scarlet either. Like, I, I at least knew about Captain Scarlet, but, you know, I, I don't, I've never seen it or anything like that. Mm. Uh, but yeah, anyway, so that's my background. <laughs> yeah, I, I think probably the reason I'm asking about it is because we've, around that time, when Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet were shown, they had like this big push with all this like merchandise. With Stingray, it didn't get much push. I think it was because they showed in between Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet. So it was kind of like the show they showed in between. So I think they did release a Stingray toy around that 
time, but I think it came out like after they finished showing Stingray. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and there was a there was a toy in the sixties, wasn't there, of of the Stingray submarine? Um, yes, you showed us the advert for it. Yeah, there was a little advert from the sixties where was the little kids are playing around and and they're trying to kill their cat. Um, oh, but that that yeah, <laughs> yeah. What with a Stingray? <laughs> yeah, with Stingray. Uh, like they're they're going like enemy approaching kind of thing. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, no, it's a weird one. Why not launch your own Stingray? Price, 75 shillings in your toy store now. Boy, oh boy, a Lincoln toy! I did mention uh, Stingray to my parents, and my, my dad knew Stingray. It was around the time that he was a kid. So, um, yeah, you know, I think, like, you know, I think our parents' generation remember, remember yeah. them all fairly well, mm. but... Yeah, for us, like, I think we were only ever really exposed to Thunderbirds and maybe, yeah, like, as you said, Rob, like, Captain Scarlet as well. So it, it's strange. It's strange that Stingray kind of got shafted, like, in, in recent years. Yeah, um, my, my both my mum and my dad knew Stingray and love it. They actually, when I mentioned it to them, they started singing the theme tune to me. And I was like, what? <laughs> because normally I, I'm into the nerdy stuff and they're, they're, this is some sort of piece of pop like fiction that they love growing up as well so that's oh 100 yeah. percent. yeah one thing i want to talk about with stingray is this the setting most sci-fi predominantly focus towards like the stars and exploring space which is of course great but i love the idea of like exploring earth's oceans and civilizations down there i can't really think of many other examples other than like jaws Verne stuff like Twenty Thousand years under the sea that that atlantis movie that disney made that was aquaman interesting and oh yeah aquaman and it's funny you mentioned aquaman because that Aquaman movie that came out in 2018 had the cameo from Stingray. Yeah. He comes on the TV and um, Aquaman's mum throws the trident at it. You weren't breathing. We also forgot, I mean, SpongeBob's a good example. Yeah, I don't really have that as sci-fi, but yeah. Oh, no, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, uh, oh, Lovecraft, I guess. Oh, like, yeah. all, the mon all the monsters come from the deep, but but then again, all of the plots are actually all based on land, and there's very little actual, like, exploring the underwater, except in Shadow over Innsmouth, I guess. The guy goes underwater in the end. Oh. Yeah, I really love the design of the craft as well, because it's got this really sleek, futuristic design, and it's designed in a way that's, that it's easily maneuverable, which is suitable for the dogfights, because when you think of submarines, you think these big, like, slow-moving grey things, but you know, you've got this really cool, like, sleek, silvery blue thing, and it's got... Mm. I really love how it looks. I'm more comfortable calling Stingray a science fiction show than Thunderbirds, if I'm honest. I don't... I always kind of got a bit perplexed by Thunderbirds being called science fiction because, yeah, there's rockets and it takes place in the future, but that's about it. Uh, and I guess, I mean, apart from maybe there's the fact there's alien worms in the movie or whatever, that doesn't really explore the premise enough. Like, I think they could do so much of a sci-fi premise here, and they just keep it kind of grounded in reality which is fine i guess but that really kind of bored me a little bit with stingray it does go a bit out of control there's like the machines are a bit more wild the the uh premise is a bit more exotic and it feels it resembles kind of like pulp fiction of the time that's the thing i wanted to because i feel the show is at its best 
when it leans into kind of like more pulpy adventure serial kind of things like um I, there's a lot of episodes that kind of evoke adventure periods like with the villains having like these exotic hideouts like underwater bases or island volcano bases and i think yeah. the episodes that for me come to my mind instantly when i think of this, that evoke this feeling the best are hostages of the deep and the master plan mm, yeah absolutely i think i agree with that um so yeah i mean to be honest i think stingray is better written than thunderbirds as a whole i think the hood for instance i just think in hindsight is just a rubbish villain like he his motives do not make any sense um and like he just he has this antagonistic attitude towards the uh thunderbirds basically only just because he wants to get a photo of their like aircraft to make a buck out of it that's it and he's got all these psychic powers doesn't make any sense it's just like i can't get behind this concept i'm sorry this is weird but then with stingray the, the main villains are like uh, Titan, King Titan. And his whole game is that he's just a xenophobic, uh, kind of fascist kind of person that enslaves other races. And immediately when... And also he's a bit zealous as well. He, he worships this giant fish called uh, Typhoon or Typhoon or something like that. Um, um, Typhoon. Typhoon, is it? Yeah, Typhoon. Typhoon. So he worships this random fish that if he doesn't look at you long enough... He'll sentence you to death. Now, Captain Troy Tempest, your trial will commence. Teufel, our great sea god, will decide your fate. He looks only upon friends of our people. If he turns away from you within the space of one marine minute, then you are proved to be our enemy. The penalty, death. I'm just like, this guy yeah, is absolutely wacky uh, as um, hell. The, <laughs> the Titanic uh, justice system is so bizarre. Absolutely. Just like, I think to myself, yeah, these villains are absolutely ridiculous and brilliant. And they're like crazy. They're evil. They're, they're just everything I kind of want from a good sci-fi villain, really. Yeah, my favorite, I love Titan, but I think my favourite villains are in this episode called The Big Gun. We've got these guys, these like really... The heads of the Crichton from Red Dwarf, and they've got this like really powerful submarine that can destroy land masses. Mm. Mm. That, the, the whole first episode, I kind of went, I went to have low expectations with Stingray, if I'm honest. But then, when I saw the first episode, I just found it all fascinating. That whole scenario where Troy was being sentenced to like death, basically. And he said, if Typhoon does not look at you long enough, then you're doomed or whatever. And I'm just like, this is brilliant this is crazy <laughs> you know i thought james I, I was thinking of you when, when i always saw titan because i i always thought he sounded a bit like skeletor yes uh, i thought that I, as well. I know i know you're a big fan uh yeah because yeah, he's it, like it, i shall and marine and marineville you know he's got yeah. that kind of voice going for him. it <laughs> is funny you say that because Titan's voice actor actually did voice the hood in thunderbirds and he also voiced commander shaw and lieutenant fisher Mm, great mm. voice acting, actually. I thought Commander Shaw had a great voice as well. Um, but yeah. Oh, he's, yeah, he's the man who says, Stand by for action! Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, what episode was it? Was it. Um, it was. Was it. Uh, bear me one moment, I'm looking it up. It was, I think it was Emergency in Marineville, I think it was called. Uh, the one where basically. Right. It, that one kind of felt like a horror film sort of scenario because there's that one bit where they get hypnotized and it felt like a lynchian like a david lynch scenario where this like yeah. weird crystal purple thing goes Wee! like this is really high-pitched voice and it all like kind of like 
drifting off and going like, I can't see, I can't, I can't stand, and and then all of a sudden the, it turns into this gothic scenario where they're all strapped to this electronic thing, and they're like, if you don't give us the information about Marineville, we're going to electrocute Marina or whatever. And I'm just like, oh my god, this whole episode is stressful. Mm. <laughs> it's... Yeah. No, it's, it's great tension building. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I rewatched that this morning. It's, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's like a weird purple thing appears and knocks them out. Troy, what's that? I don't know, but I don't like it. My arm. I can't move it. I can't move mine either. It's numb. It must be a paralyzing ray of some kind. I can't move a muscle. Try. I can hardly speak. amazing there's yeah. such a great yeah just variety that when you mentioned horror though the one i thought of was um the invisible enemy which yes I really liked, where oh um, yes i knew you'd like that one yeah mm. a, a guy sneaks into the base and um i can't i can't even I, remember if he he's got this watch that like hypnotizes people yeah, just, yeah. He's, he's just got this watch he hypnotized. i think he had some kind of virus that made him like hypnotize so i think it's probably why it's called the invisible mm. enemy also, because he's yeah, kind of sneaking yeah. around and do it, and put it, he pulls his watch, and it kind of as everyone. Uh, Marina's immune to it because she lives underwater. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. So we should. Uh, is like a mermaid, but she has legs. But she's, you know, she's like a water person that they find. Uh, she was enslaved by Titan, and they rescue her. And uh, I think what was kind of fascinating was they made a point that she and her, like her race, because her father as well they they never speak and um it's really interesting because like all of it's done through expressions and i was noticing how detailed her expressions could be sometimes like the way they would convey various emotions it was very well done because obviously mm. with, with yeah. the puppets it's usually like they just they convey their emotions by just speaking and just saying like oh i don't know about this but uh phones this sounds pretty bad you know like they always say everything they're feeling because it's yeah. like well they're puppets there's mm -hmm. only so much we can see there's two points i want to make first one if you mentioned of the puppets this thing was the first of the super shows where each puppet had different heads like i think before that they just had one head that was it and what they did for the Stingray mm. onwards was they had they did multiple heads with each different puppets with different expressions on. So what they do is they cut away and change the head for the next for the next shot depending on what emotion they want the character to feel. The second point I wanted to talk about was Marina's backstory, which isn't explained explicitly in the show, but there is a backstory in like Thai media about when her people were unable to, to speak. So in this case, it was a comic strip, which I think was in. I don't remember if it was either in the main TV21 comic or the Lady Penelope comic. And there's also a audio story called Marina Speaks, where Marina's written this letter explaining why she can't speak. And it's basically Titan puts a curse on her people so that if they speak, one of them will die. So basically they, they're condemned to silence. Oh. 
Damn. In isolation, this explanation is fine, but it doesn't line up with what we see in the show because there is an episode called Countdown where X20 infiltrates Marineville by posing as a psychiatrist who, as the show says, gets dumb people to speak. Marina's happy to go along with it. <laughs> she doesn't line up with this backstory. Well, Professor, what do you think? Uh, yes. Yes, I, I think that I may be able to help this young lady. Now, in order for the treatment to stand a chance, she would have to stay at my clinic here for at least a week. Would, would that be all right with you, young lady? Marina talking? Wow! That's fabulous news. As part of the treatment, I shall need your voice, Captain. She is already attuned to the sound waves that this creates. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. And and but that is one of the most funny episodes because it is literally them constantly. See I I know obviously the word dumb, it does mean you know pe like basically when you you know like struck dumb you can't speak. Um, but it's so it's unfortunate that dumb has kind of now it's used to mean stupid because it's the amount of times. It's whether oh they this person helps dumb people to speak you know mm. <laughs> yeah mm. but uh yeah. It, but it, it's another episode with a lot of great um x20 stuff which is really fun because i i'm a really big fan <laughs> of x20 <laughs> who is literally just peter laurie impression you know <laughs> why well, yeah the, there was a, i'd send you the clip of that of the, the voice actor robert easton who also voiced phones he tells the backstory of he was um, doing a film with um, peter laurie and i think the thing they're doing voice work and peter laurie went to the toilet and it was time for for um and robert did um people did for his voice and then peter laurie comes back to from the toilet and says um Okay, let's go. And then the director say something like, "Need for the rest of the day because Robert's going to do a voice." And he so Robert <laughs> demonstrates, and then Peter is like, "Oh, that's very good." Most people, when they do my voice, hold their finger on their nose. I don't walk around with my finger on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. In 1961, I had done, which I think was about my 35th film, a film called "Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea" with the wonderful Peter Laurie. And I was fascinated with voices. I was listening to them all the time. And one time they went to roll a take, and Peter Laurie had gone to the men's room, and the AD didn't notice. So we were doing the take without him. Walter Pigeon did his line, and uh, everybody, you know, did their line. And uh, came time for his line, he wasn't there. So I flipped it in. Uh, oh, well, see the, the Van Allen belt that hangs up there in the troposphere at that altitude. And so Peter Laurie came back, and I said, "Okay, Mr. Laurie, we won't need you for the rest of the day." He said, "No, no, I have a, I have a whole lot of important scenes to do today. A lot of big scenes." They said, "No, no, no, uh, Mr. Easton will do your voice." He said, "You do my voice?" And I was kind of embarrassed. I said, do that for me. So I did it, and he said, "That's very good." He said, "A lot of people, when they go to do my voice, they put the finger on their nose." So I don't walk around with my finger on my nose. Um, yeah, no, it's 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 such a he X two zero. He kind of reminds me of he he's got a bit of a Smithers dynamic yeah. with uh, with Titan. You know, he's he's kind of the the groveling um, assistant who's always just kind of like. But what I love, though, is that, yeah, he makes a lot more sense. Because the problem with the hood in the Thunderbirds, as you said, James, was that he's supposed to be like the ultimate criminal mastermind or whatever. 
but he's also a bungling idiot who doesn't know what he's doing. And whereas what you have here is Titan, who is the big evil, you know, leader. Next to Zero is the bumbling idiot who doesn't know what he's doing, which I think works a lot better as a dynamic. Um, but even X two zero, like even X two zero is more competent in the hood. Yeah, yeah, no, he is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's another thing I wanted to bring up because I, I, you mentioned X two zero, and he is brilliant character. But the puppet designs, I think, are better in Stingray than Thunderbirds. There's more they, they do with them. Um, the way that some of the characters are exaggerated, especially the Aquafibians, they're a bit more cartoonish. There's more you can do with it. There's bits where like X20 will be bashed across the head by King Titan, and then it's it, like a little sound effect will play, and his eyes will kind of go cross-eyed, like. And they mm. actually designed a puppet mm. that could do that. There's nothing like that in Thunderbirds. I don't think there's anything as expressive as that. Uh, I, I, think... I think I know why that is. Mm, why is that? Uh, because I think Jerry and Jerry really wanted to do live action. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, he was always trying to make the puppets more realistic. So I think as they chose went along, they went they tried to make them as realistic as they possibly could. I get that. And I think starting with Captain Scarlet, yeah, with Captain Scarlet, they had the. Um, I think the technology to make the puppets speak got smaller so they could put it in the chest rather than the head. So they puppets with human-sized heads in Captain Scarlet onwards. Well, I just disagree with that mentality entirely. That's like just saying, like, I've got this amazing animation studio, I can animate anything, but then animate, like, the least realistic thing possible and just keep it as mundane as possible. I think, why not sort of embrace the opportunity to make something wild out of it, which I think Stingray accomplishes. Yeah. I just don't... Yeah, it's a, it, <laughs> it is a double. I think it's a double-edged sword because he really didn't want to work with Puppet. Yeah. And um, he, the reason he started making shows like Stingray and Thunderbirds, etc., was because he felt if I can make Puppet shows that are really good, I won't be as embarrassed about making them. So if he wasn't so embarrassed with Puppets, he wouldn't have got shows like this that like kind of like push puppeteering in, like as far as it does. I mean, I feel bad for him in that sense, because if he did want to make live-action shows, I think by all means they should have just given him the resources to do that, really. They did eventually. I think his last puppet show was this show called The Secret Service, and it was so like bizarre. Oh, like, okay. I think Blue Grade is like, stop, stop, stop. Like, we can't show this. This will make no sense. It's and it's bit... just like, Jerry, you've got to do live-action now. <laughs> Did you realise, sir, that you were exceeding the speed limit? I'm afraid I didn't, officer. Well, you will be reported for the question to be considered of prosecuting you for exceeding the speed limit. Quite so. You're not obliged to say anything. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. I just think Jerry Anderson does have a gift with uh, puppetry, and the more wacky it is... I think he's also really good when he does adventure out in his science fiction storytelling. He's really good as well. He does it really... makes some really pulpy stories. I just kind of wish... It's Thunderbirds, both in its puppetry and its storytelling, was a bit more adventurous. And I think Stingray, 100%. I imagine probably Captain Scarlet is the case as well. Is that I think they succeed in that and being a bit more wacky and kind of, you know, doing more. Because you have this sort of world with puppetry and all this kind of like small scale stuff where absolutely anything's possible. Uh, with Thunderbirds, mm -hmm. it's so kind yeah. of confined to reality that I just kind of think, well, this is a missed opportunity, isn't it? Well, I think one aspect that Stingray has over the two of them is the cast is more fleshed out because yes. um, I don't think the characters in Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet are bad, but because there were so many, not everyone got enough time in the spotlight to get fleshed out, particularly in Captain Scarlet where the episodes were half hour, but they still had the really big cast. Because Stingray has only, like, I think only a handful of main characters, 
like we get spend more time getting to know them all. Even like a character like Lieutenant Fisher, who's kind of like on the sidelines a lot. He got an episode to himself where he's get, he's trying to pilot Stingray, which is really cool. Mm. Yeah, um, and with Commander Shaw, uh, I did notice. Well, well, someone was saying about with him. I think he was one of the first disabled characters on like kind of a big TV show because mm. obviously he's in his mm. he's in his kind of like captain pike wheelchair i don't know if, you know it's not obviously not a big deal to bring up but then they actually do show his whole backstory for how he um how he became disabled you know and it was the, it was involving this whole kind of weird adventure with a weird like ghost ship thing wasn't it or there was like oh the ghost in the sea that was it yeah um yes. yeah and you know and that's so yeah you're right it's just it's there's a nice variety of characters um you know, with with Shaw probably has the most interesting backstory for that. Uh, but then, of course, you have Marina as well, and, and you know, yeah, it's 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 a great little, great little show for that for little character mm. moments. And I think I remember more characters from Stingray than Thunderbirds, and I think it's not just. I mean, you're quite right in saying that. Yes, there's a small cast, and there's more time to flesh them out and stuff like that. But in general, I think the show respects each and individual character a bit more. I mean, I've already mentioned that they've just done a terrible job with the hood. But there are like certain Thunderbirds, like what that, what, I forgot his name, but the one that's like just cast off into space and left to his own devices and they hardly pay any. Yes. Yeah, John. So like, they literally, I think Jerry Anderson said it himself that he hates that character. I'm just like, so you just literally have this character and just shove him to one side and never mention him hardly at all. Whereas a Stingray, every character is like mentioned enough, respected enough. They even have episodes dedicated to fleshing them out. I just think that they handle the characters are just handled better in the show. I think the writing is su just superior to Thunderbirds by miles. 100%. Now I have a question for you two. So one of the anchor points of the show is there's a love triangle aspect between <laughs> Troy, Atlanta, and Marina. Commander Shore, Lieutenant, Atlanta, meet Marina, the latest recruit to the World Aquanaut Security Patrol. Marina. Well, what do you know? Yeah, well, uh, as I were saying, at least we know what we're up against. Well, I certainly know what I'm up against. Are you guys Team Atlantean Marina? Oh, mm. well, uh, yes, I'm going to say Team Atlanta, and I'll explain that in a moment. Uh, I am in Team Menage a Trois. Uh, they they should all get together in a in an open relationship. Damn. <laughs> so for me, this is kind of a tough one because I do have a soft spot for Marina. She's a great character who's shown to be pretty capable in spite of occasionally getting captured by various villains. And I think she is able to somewhat communicate in spite of her inability to speak. However. I do think Atlanta is probably the better match since communication is key and that's something that would be lacking with Marina, although you could argue that it's not impossible. Yeah, I think for me, um, Atlanta and uh, Troy Tempest have a relationship before they, he meets Marina, but interesting enough, there are a couple of episodes, I can't remember which ones exactly it was, but I've seen this, where Phones is actually having a bit of chemistry with Atlanta, and I just thought to myself, that would be a cute couple. Why don't those two get together? I mean, like, Troy already knows um, Atlanta, so 
Why not? <laughs> I think that would make wait, more wait, sense. Wait, wait, wait. So wait, James. So you're saying that phones should cheat on uh, Troy by getting with Atlanta? Is that what you're saying? Is it? Is it cheating? I mean, because well, well, I don't well, think well, anyone well, are in a relationship. Not really cheating, but not really cheating, but like stealing his girlfriend. But then, but Troy already has two girlfriends. Like, sure, I mean, I mean, it's up to. I mean, I don't no, know. Like, I, it's, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm just meaning because you said like Troy was with Atlanta. And then, like, and now you're saying that, like, phones get to with Atlanta as well. Oh, wait, did I get the two mixed up at one point? I think I might have done yeah. that. Sorry, I was meant to say... <laughs> I was <laughs> meant to say... That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was thinking to myself. One of them. Like, sorry, <laughs> sorry. So that wait, was my you, bad. You were, meaning, you were meaning he had good chemistry with, with Marina. Yes. Right? That was what yeah, I was trying to say. This is the problem of naming your, your two women characters <laughs> basically the most generic, like, C related names possible atlanta and marina it, no yeah, you're gonna get them nah it's just me being a goof um <laughs> i mean there are characters i love some of the characters because they're they're all punny names because we've got troy tempest and stingray who's like the mate who's obviously the pilot of stingray and then we've got sam shaw as in shoreline and i think that's a through line from five alexa five where the main character is called steve zodiac obviously flew a spaceship mm. I can't believe I just Are said you? I remember more Stingray characters and then just got proceeded to get too confused. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Sorry, you're saying something. Well, you're okay, so... Yeah, but you're right. Like, well, X20, you got H2O, and uh, and you got Lieutenant Fisher. You know, like, yeah, all the names are puns. <laughs> yeah, and they're all in Marineville, and they're fighting um, the Acrophidians. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So there's a couple of episodes that I wanted to talk about. And one of them is Hostages from the Deep, which like I mentioned earlier, is, this is one of the episodes that leans into the pulpy adventure serial style that the show excelled at. And it's probably the earliest example of the show trying to tell this kind of story. Because it, it, I know you guys watched it in the broadcast order rather than the production order, but this is actually the fourth episode. Mm. And uh, when I think of seeing this, this is the first episode that comes to mind. So we get Gaddis, who's a villain who has his own ship, and it ends with a, like a fun shootout. Because Marina's tied up on this table... And, if, and it's linked to a candle, which is linked to string and a dangling sawfish above her. And it's, it's like, if they don't put out the candle, a sawfish is going to like impale her. And it's like, I like, while Marina gets captured in the episode, I like that she shows agency because Stingray's unable to get into the villain's lair because it's too big. And Marina thinks, oh, I can get in there because I, I can breathe on the water. She swims all the way there. What I love is when you talked about her being tied up and, and there's like the dangling swordfish, I can see the pulp novel illustration. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, you can see it. It's wonderful. Like you were saying, James, where like all the, every story has like a really pulpy look to it. I can imagine like the hard-boiled 20s detective novel where like a woman is tied up and there's like a giant swordfish dangling above her and you know we've got to stop that candle burning one of us will have to draw their fire that means me troy you're a better shot than i am anyway We haven't got time to play this cool phones. When I give the word, dive into the open and blast that rock!
Shoot! We surrender! Keep them covered, Bones. Oh my god, it's it's so yeah, it's so pulpy and fun. Like just every episode has some weird kind of like catch like that. Like the big gun as well, that's another one I really like. I think I mentioned it earlier. It's um so we've got a rival vehicle to Stingray, because that kind of just cannon on the submarine it kind of like raises up. Um not only a really cool and striking design, but it poses a serious threat as it goes after Marineville. And because it's some mm. um, base is like right underwater, Stingray like really struggles to um get to um, reach it because it can't withstand the pressure. So Troy and Spartans nearly die because they pass out of the controls because they can't withstand the pressure. So it's up to Marina to um save the day. Mm, yeah. Also, I really love that episode because it's one of the very it's one of the many instances where um, the Stingray crew just happily murder probably countless people um, because at the end of that episode they blow up the the evil like bad guys lair and like I was just watching it going that's an entire like civilization of people <laughs> you just wiped off the map that's them all gone like. <laughs> And they do this multiple times, like they'll come across like some evil lair, but they, they kind of imply that the lair is like a big city or something. It's just like, wow, there's a lot of people dead now. <laughs> yeah, another one I kind of wanted to bring up was the episode where they find the Loch Ness Monster. Oh, yes, I, love that I was episode. thinking of this. this okay, one, one reason I wanted to bring that up is because it ties back into our Samurai Jack episode with the Scotsman. Yeah. And Haggis is mentioned while they're sitting <laughs> around the table. And... I mentioned that I hadn't tried haggis because I was vegetarian, but since then I have had heg vegetarian haggis and it is great. Yep. I'm actually going to have haggis for my birthday. I, had, I recently had a haggis scotch egg and I've decided, right, my birthday meal is going to be a haggis burger. So we're going to have that. Um, haggis is like one of the nicest foods. Like it, It's one of the only good foods that the British Isles have ever produced. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, I love it. You can put it on anything. Put it on a uh, burger, put it on a pizza. Oh, yeah, maybe it'll work on pizza, I don't know. Um, but, oh, yeah. yeah, back to the episode. It's, it's really interesting they tackled what's it, the Loch Ness Monster. And I think one thing Ewan brought up, which is funny, was how Stingray, they see this um, like mythical creature, and their response is, kill it, blow it up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fire a missile at it. It's like the first thing they do is just go, get the torpedoes, and they just fire at it, and they blow it up. And I'm like, all right, you know. And uh, and I noticed that that is like a common theme. They, <laughs> they take a note out of Lara Croft's book. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but like in Thunderbirds as well, I always remember the episode uh, uh, Pit of Peril, where like um, a forest is being completely destroyed by like this giant like evil looking industrial machine that's like doing some drilling work, and then like it turns out that the the, the evil looking machine isn't actually bad because it's like or it's not presented as the villain because it's destroying nature. Yeah. Um, because then the Thunderbirds go and rescue the crew of that giant machine when it gets into trouble. So it's just like it's very um 50s 60s kind of like um yeah we we don't care about the environment kind of idea yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, going back to that episode with the lot less monster as well i was saying this as well like at the beginning of the episode there's a fisherman just doing some fishing on this little boat um and then this lot mess not monster shows up i mean i had to spoil what happens with that actually 
Or um, should I keep we that secret? Do. So, no, actually. Spoilers for a nearly 60-year-old TV episode. <laughs> yeah, okay, fair enough. So basically, right, the whole idea is that actually the Loch Ness Monster is not a mythical beast. It's a robot uh, designed by the Scotsman. Um, and basically the idea is that they want to attract more tourists. So they thought, right, let's pop this little robotic thing that looks like the Loch Ness Monster, create an urban myth, a hoax, that will attract all these tourists to our country, because that would be great for the economy. Um, but um, So at the beginning of the episode, they unleash this Loch Ness Monster into the um, waters and scare a fisherman out of his boat, and he falls right into the water, and he's just, like, terrified for his life. And I was just thinking to myself, that guy could have drowned. That guy could have just died there. But it's okay, because we want tourism! And then right at the end of the episode, Troy Tempest is like, oh, I get what you're trying to do, attract tourists and stuff like that. That's fine. We'll let you unleash this safety hazard upon the waters. Um, sort of fundamentally scaring people out of their boats and properly causing collateral damage everywhere. That's fine, because tourism... Yeah, it's fine, James. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> it's still fine. <laughs> Two more episodes I want to bring up. First one is Titans Goes Goes Pop, which I want to bring up in our Thunderbirds episode we did last year. You and kind of touched upon how um, we had this big dream sequence in Thunderbirds Ago featuring Cliff Richard Jr. when Cliff Richard was never cool, so it's what kind of fails at the attempt to be down with the kids. But in this episode, we get this um, fun. This is a really fun episode. It's a pastiche on popular music of the 60s. And we get a kind of a stand-in for, for Elvis called Duke Dex. It's kind of like a cross between Elvis and the beat. And it kind of like parodies the whole like, kind of how people are so crazy over this. Because that's the thing. Um, Duke Dexter comes to Marineville and Titan's plan is um, he wants to capture Duke Dexter and use him to take over the world because he doesn't understand why why people on the land are acting this way towards him. Really like the song they wrote for Duke Dexter in this episode. It's a really catchy song. Mm. And now, the moment you've been waiting for, we have great pleasure in presenting the new, fabulous, dynamic singing star, Duke Dexter. Something to shout about, yeah, yeah. Ooh, funny what love can do. Ever since last night, when I held you tight and you whispered, "Baby, I love you." Yeah, that was a good episode. I like that because the Aquafibians like capture on to basically what is essentially Beatlemania. And they're like, oh my god, this hysteria! We can use this against our enemies! <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that they, so much. They don't, they don't quite understand that it's not that kind of hysteria. Yeah, no, it's really... And they're watching TV going like, <laughs> oh my god, look at him causing chaos! <laughs> <laughs> look at all those people screaming, you know? <laughs> Nearly in terror. Yeah. Oh, it's so, um, so inspired. Yeah, yeah. I love it. I really like the episode uh, Stand By For Action, where it's... Yes! Like, Oh, yeah. Set and uh, and they they cast everyone from the uh, the um, Stingray crew apart from Troy, who they feel doesn't have enough star like star power or charisma, <laughs> on, like or screen presence. Um, so he he's left out and replaced by like this big celebrity actor. 
Uh, oh, or, Johnny know, Spoonara. It's Johnny... funny. Yeah. yeah, his name's Johnny Spoonara, yes. And it's actually the they used for Steve Zodiac in 5 XO 5 in a black wig. <laughs> okay. It's just very silly. <laughs> I love it. Um, that whole episode is fantastic, actually. Yeah, it's a really fun one as well. Don't, well doesn't it like Marina and Lance, every time they see that actor appear, they all just like pass out? I'm just like, yeah. are you serious? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then at the end, they don't that, care because yeah. um, because Stingray gets attacked where he's in it and he's like, uh, that cow is like, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, get my agent. I should have done a yeah. Western. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. What's happened, phones? I, I can't hold her. The control gear smashed. Marina's operating the pumps. Get Johnny to help you. He can't. He's gone to pieces. I don't have to put up with this. It's not in my contract. My favourite episode is possibly the master plan. I like it because it kind of feels like a series finale, or as close to a series finale as possible. This is not actually the last episode. Because, um, so Titan is sick of constant failure, and he comes up with a plan to defeat Troy Tempest and Rike Marina for good. So Troy ends up getting poisoned and Titan offers to send the cure to Marineville but only if they return Marina to him. And one of the things I like about this episode is that Marina goes off her own record because the rest of Marineville is like, oh, we can't give up Marina, but Marina just goes off anyway. And it kind of shows how much she cares for Troy and how much she's kind of settled into the groove of life on the land. And I really like Troy and Phones' attempt to rescue her because it's quite inventive because they try and disguise themselves as aquavibians and use like a terror fish, which is cool. And it ends in another great shootout resulting in several dead aquavibians. Oh. <laughs> Just so many people killed. <laughs> oh dear, yeah, history's no, written by that... the victor. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree though. It's a really great, that's a really strong episode where we do get more of a sense of yeah, Marina's character as well, and 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 the kind of the relationship that they've all developed with each other. Because of course she's the newcomer to the team, you know, so she has um, developed this relationship with them. Mm. Uh, no, I, I agree. That's a really fun, like, just really strong episode. I like the one uh, where X Two Zero pretends to be, yeah, the speech therapist, as we said, to help dumb people. Um, because I really like his plan where he gets Troy to record like certain password lines, you know, and, and, and uses his voice recording to like break into the into the Marineville base because it's like that's actually, you know, a decent plan. Like, it, you know, it, it probably wouldn't swing today because we're we're aware of that as a thing. But like, yeah, in those days, you know, recording technology was still fairly new, I guess. So yeah. people could, people could yeah. fall for that. Mm. I like the, yeah. I mean, in general, I just like the first episode, Stingray, and the oh, second, yes. yeah, and also the second part, which is the Plant of Doom, I want to say it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, Plant of Doom. I mean, like yes. I say, um, <laughs> the whole scenario with the, like, with the fish and Typhoon is just so fascinating. I was just like, what is going on, man? Um, and that really kind of immersed me into this. I wanted to keep watching after that. It really kind of hooked me, that, that episode. Uh, well, this is interesting. We should mention this. is that the, the two-parter. Um, the first episode, obviously, Stingray, the pilot, is the first episode that's been broadcasted. But then the second part, because it's a two-parter, essentially, the plant uh, of Doom, was aired towards the end of its broadcast schedule. 
So it was like after many, many episodes, we find out what happens after, straight after that episode, essentially. And it all takes place chronologically before all the other episodes that have been broadcasted. Um, which is very bizarre and jarring. I did, I think I actually looked this up recently and I might have found out the reason as to why they did this. So basically, um, viewing figures tend to fall in the middle, like basically in, in the sort of like middle of the series. That's when the sort of like viewing figures like fall. But the viewing figures are the strongest at the beginning and end of a TV show. So they thought, right, let's take the best episodes and leave the weaker ones in the middle. So they basically, I'm reading this. Mm, yes, I. I'm reading this word to word from Wikipedia right now, actually. Um, so it must be right. But uh, like, basically, the first episode, they, they thought, right, this this Stingray episode is great. Let's leave it at the start. The second part of this episode, also a strong episode. Let's leave that at the end. And obviously, that screws with the chronology massively. But that's, I think, that's the reason uh, uh, for it, isn't there's it? There's another one you pointed out. Yeah. Yes. And there's another continuity thing you pointed out is. Um... You have episode, multiple episodes where you've got Oink the Seal, who... I don't think, so, I think the writers kind of realised quite early on there wasn't much they could do with Oink. Mm. He's, he's just a seal who says Oink, Oink, Oink all the time. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. I and remember... then at the end of the run, after all these episodes of Oink, we get the, we, we get the first episode Oink. The origin story. Yeah, like, I was so confused. I remember, like, Mar Marina just showed up with this winking creature and I was just like, who's this? <laughs> and then, like, it's, it wasn't until, like, many episodes later that they actually explain why he's there, like, why there's random seals. I kind of just accepted it. I was just like, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's fine. Yeah. Much like with Thunderbirds, I kind of spoke about this in our Thunderbirds episode, in the early 1980s, they made TV movies by combining episodes of Stingray and adding new opening and closing credits, as well as, like, this is one thing they did with the Stingray ones, is whenever like fired a missile, they superimposed a laser on top of it, and it somehow aimed the effect that they replaced. So there were two of these. The first one was called The Incredible Voyage of Stingray, and it combined the pilot episode, Plant of Doom, Countdown, which is the dumb people to speak one, and The Master Plan, which I've not actually seen, but I've heard it that actually works quite well as a film. Mm. And the second one was Invaders from the Deep, which... It's a bit more bizarre, so it starts with a sequence of Titan, which is dubbed with very... They took a lot of episodes to make this sequence, and it's basically Titan like, sends out an order to destroy Marineville, which is basically their way of trying to bridge the episodes together, so it's like all these evil aliens to Stingray Marineville. We are constantly losing battles to the land people. Battles we would win if it were not for the World Aquanaut Security Patrol. Oh, great Teufel! Show your face to Titan, leader of the underwater city of Titanica. All-powerful Teufel, vengeance must be mine. Only Marineville stands in our way of a great and glorious victory. Call my subjects your orders. Destroy Marineville. And the episodes used for this one are Hostage from the Deep, Emergency Marineville, The Big Gun, and Deep Heat, which is a bit weird because the bad guys in that one don't really want to care about Stingray Marineville. They just want to escape from their volcano because it's about to erupt. And the funny thing about this one is the end credits. <laughs> like the first movie used Aquamarina as the end credits, which is the... We've not spoken about that, but it's the end credit. The love song Troy sings to Marina. But the second one mm. doesn't use that. It uses a medley 
of the Thunderbirds theme and Yellow Submarine by the Beatles. What? <laughs> oh my yeah, god. Yeah, it's so weird. Um, have you heard of Mystery Science Theatre 3000 by yes. any chance? Yes, yeah, I have actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, for, for those who don't know, it's a, it's a show that started in the 80s. And um, basically, the premise is this, this guy who was a janitor working for these evil scientists who send him up into space and basically inflict these really ropey B-movies on him to try and determine like the, like, the best B-movie they can use to take over humanity. And basically every episode is their B-movie and riffing on it. Eat fork, buddy. Yeah, he thinks I'm a pallet. Uh, uh. Uh, well, fortunate for me, I ate some more spinach before I left the house again. <laughs> hey, come on, dim your brights, I can't see. Uh, uh. Oh, you should know by now, pal. When you push a wolf raider, he pushes back. <laughs> This must be one of those Russian forklifts I've heard so much about lately. This is the song written for the train chase. This is the chase, Rocky and Ken. He tried to kill me with a forklift. Olay! Joe Mannix. And the very first episode of Mystery Science Theatre 3000 actually used um, this Stingray film, Invaders from the Deep, which is interesting. And it was lost for years and then suddenly came up in recent years. Oh, brilliant. Do you want to talk about the Marina song as yeah. well? Yeah, the Marina song. Uh, it's so different to how you would expect Thunderbirds. Well, not Thunderbirds, but like, you know, the, a, a kind of Thunderbirds kind of show. Super Marination. Yeah, yeah, you know, but like, yeah, so Stingray and, you know, these shows, you wouldn't expect it to be like a love ballad, but that's what plays at the end of every episode, you know, so it's Marina, yeah. Aqua Marina, you know, da 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 dee. It's so and magical. It's great, it's all, yeah, and, and she, it's all uh, clips of her, like, swimming around and, and throughout the show, and it's like, oh, this is great, this is really sweet. Yeah. So, um, no, it does work really well, I thought. Also, I do like the detail that with um, with Marina, especially because she has long hair, whenever they showed her swimming. So the idea was that they put a fish tank in front of the 
the actual like uh, miniatures and that would produce the effect of them being in water they'd like you know so they'd film through the fish tank um, but then also to make her hair look like it was going through water they just blew a fan against her as she like <laughs> as she's swimming that's um, and that would that would create the effect of her hair moving around yeah so it's stuff like that's yeah. really clever um, yeah. little, little touches yeah. okay so in January 2008, some quote, lost episodes of Stingray aired as part of BBC Four's Thunderbirds Night. Oh, wasn't that splendid, Parker? Indeed, Melida. A veritable treasure trove. Shall I turn off the set, Melida? No, Parker. There's a lot more to come. They're about to show a specially reconstructed episode of Stingray. It's never been shown before. Good old BBC Four, eh, Parker? Very good, Belady. And there is a story behind this because um, I think the last episode of Stingray was an episode called Aquanaut of the Year, which was a flashback episode, and it was kind of they kind of took the premise from um, a TV show called This Is Your Life, which is based where they get like kind of like celebrities and show them highlights of their careers, basically, and. They were trying to, they had to get approval to do, but while they were doing that, they started work on an alternative flashback episode, which was basically um, tr um, all the characters are sitting around at home, like kind of like watching a video of all their adventures. Mm. And I think this was abandoned once they got the rights to do use This Is Your Life, but they did use the footage to kind of like a, make a feature length presentation for Jap Japanese audiences. And this was okay. discovered around the early 2000s when Colton, which was a branch of ITV, they were looking through like the archives to find extra features to use on the Stingray DVDs and they came across this footage and then in like, around that time, like 2007-2008, the BBC used that footage with the clips that they were supposed to use episodes from and they bridged them together to make this quote-unquote new episode. I don't really count it as an official episode but it was, it was fun to watch. Yeah. yeah. Aside from that, Stingray's not really been heard from too much because there's never been re really many any attempts to remake it as anything as far as I know because I think the closest I can think of was um, there were some concepts because they made, tried to make a Thunderbirds movie in the 90s but got abandoned but uh, there's going to make a, have a brief cameo of Stingray in the background and they did a design of what Stingray would look like and yeah, it would have been interesting. It's a shame, really, because it's such a neat idea. I mean, with the success of Aquaman, this sort of concept of an underwater sort of science fiction uh, piece of entertainment would work. Yeah, there are new Stingray adventures kind of being produced because they made novels in the 1960s, and there's this company called Big Finish who are notable for doing like Doctor Who audio adventures. Yeah. And what they started doing is they started adapting all the old novels based on Jerry Anderson shows. Oh, um, in like that. audio adventures, they, they did ones. I think, I think they've done a couple of Thunderbirds ones. They've done one Stingray one, mm. and as we're recording this, I think there's another Stingray one that's due out next month. Actually, oh lovely, wow. that's good. So they're wow. still keeping up the stories. That's, that's really nice. I have to look that up yeah. at some point. Wouldn't mind reading a Stingray novel. <laughs> That's so funny that it's, you know, it's been going all these years, you know, like oh, the most obscure super marionation and then yet here it is still being, like, still coming up with new stories for it. It's great. Yeah, so to finish up, um, favourite characters? Ooh, uh, I'm going to say Commander Shaw, because I think he's just, <laughs> even, I was saying earlier there's a similarity between him and Arch Dornan. Um, He's got, <laughs> he's got that kind of militaristic. Kind Who of, is Arch Dornan, uh, James? <laughs> Sorry, what was that you? 
<laughs> Who is Arch Dornan? <laughs> I, mentioned, I might have mentioned it in the first Fallout episode, but he's basically a commander of the uh, Enclave. And he, yeah. he has full body power armor. And if you're not in uniform, soldier, you're going to have your ass for dinner. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome to Camp Navarro. So you're the new replacement. You are out of uniform, soldier. Where is your power armor? Anyway, yeah, um, just, I, yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, Commander Shaw has that. He's got a brilliant voice actor, but he's also he reminds me of J. Jonah Jameson a little bit as well. He's kind of like always kind of telling off Troy. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah. always going like, "Damn it, Troy! You're meant to be reporting for duty and uh, doing this and stuff like that." And and whenever like Troy's oh, trying to, oh yeah, yeah. one. Yeah, once he tells our phones because he's missing a button because he, they took his button off to escape from a jail cell. Oh, yeah. And then, like, phones is just like, well, I'll be. Um, <laughs> and, but, but, yeah, he, but also he's kind of very likeable as well. Like, there's a couple of episodes where Troy basically rescues Commander Shaw. I want to say it's the ghost ship episode, I think it is. Where yes. Basically, yeah, so he re Troy rescues um, uh, Commander Shaw from this uh, aquafibium on the ship. And goes like, well, you broke this protocol and you violated this rule or whatever, but also you saved your commander and uh, saved countless lives and performed a heroic duty. And he just rips the paper saying like, well done, Troy, you know, we're going to keep this a little secret. He doesn't he doesn't play by the rules. And there's a couple of times when Troy has to rescue Fonz or will prove that he's sane in that one episode as well. And he goes like, well, I can't order you, but... What you can do in your own time, if you can keep that quiet, maybe you could find some evidence for his innocence. You know, just kind of like, he's always secretly the good guy, Commander Shaw, so, yeah. yeah so my favourite character is a bit of a typical one, give main character, but I really like Troy Tempest, because he's not your typical straight-laced, always positive protagonist that you get in these kind of shows, because he has genuine flaws, because he can get quite angry at times, jealous, because there's a whole episode where Atlanta's getting attention from this French Navy guy and he gets really, really angry and storms off. That's a beautiful dress you're wearing. Why, thank you. It's new. I was wondering when someone would notice. Must be nice for you to get away from such a dull uniform for a while. There's nothing wrong with our uniforms. Maybe not for you, Tempest, but Atlanta is a woman. And a pretty one. She'd look swell in a well navy uniform. She looks okay in our uniform. It's serviceable and neat. Exactly. But a girl likes to be feminine. And the navy uniform was designed for just that. Say, why don't you stop bragging, Jordan? I'm getting tired of hearing about your precious navy. Troy, I'm surprised at you. Yeah, and I'm surprised at you, Atlanta, listening to all this junk. Good night. Oh, Troy, come back now. Don't get so head up. However, I think overall his heart's in the right place and he's a good and likeable character. So yeah, Troy Tempest. For sure. I think my favourite character uh, or favourite characters are the the two gay uh, figures of the film, uh, Titan and X Two Zero, because it is literally it's Peter Lorre. Uh, working for his lover, uh, Titan, <laughs> who sounds like Skeletor, you know, uh, I, I just, I, yeah, that's their dynamic. They are literally Mr. Burns and, and Smithers. Just, uh, <laughs> just very briefly, now you mention it, now I'm thinking about it, that there is a sort of campness to the whole show, isn't there? 
Oh my god, 100%. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it, it's it's part of the charm, I think, that it is quite campy, and, you know, and it doesn't take itself seriously, like, at all. Um, to the point that they do, like, the Beatles episode, and the, the we're making a movie of the Stingray in in the episode episode you know like there's there's so many things like that that are just so fun and silly um but yeah i i i'm gonna say my favorites are uh, well my favorite character is x20 but um alongside titan as well uh just because they're so they're such goofy villains um despite having quite high stakes to them as you said they're trying to take over the world and destroy marineville and 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 kidnap um Marina, but ultimately it's like you know they're just these two idiot villains who who don't know what they're doing half the time, and they get tricked by a beetle, um, thinking that he's gonna cause mass hysteria. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But my favorite is Peter Laurie because I get to keep doing this voice. You do uh, it so well. <laughs> um, yeah. James, what are we discussing oh, in our next episode? Thank you for letting me introduce this. So what we are talking about in the next Bloopcast is one of my favourite mythologies in all of pop culture. One of my favourite video games. One of my favourite... Yeah, literally, it has some of my favourite characters in all of fiction. It's a labour of love from the mastermind that is Lorne Lannan. We are talking about Oddworld, specifically Oddworld's Abe's Odyssey slash New and Tasty. They both have the same story, but they're basically in new clothes. And Oddworld is the finest example of dark fantasy uh, in a video game. It combines um, horror, uh, humour, but also a great deal of stakes for the main character, who's a relatable character by the name of Abe. Um, oh, there's so much I want to say now, but it's going to be amazing. Yeah, it's we'll going to save you for blow, the episode. It's going to blow your mind, guys. So stay tuned for the next one. Sorry. <laughs> so until next time, the Bloopcast bids you farewell. Take care, everyone. Stand by for action. Anything can happen in the next and- half hour. Damn it. You, you said it before me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, everyone. Take care. We're going to go and fight the weird Oddworld men now. I, I, I know nothing about Oddworld. Okay, bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to Bloobcast. We've been Rob, James, and Ewan. You can find all of our episodes on Bloobcast.com. We're also available on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. We also have a YouTube channel where we produce shorter episodes called Bloobnets, where we discuss the latest news in popular culture. You can find us on social media with at BlueCastPod on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please like, follow and subscribe so you can get the latest updates on new episodes. We also have an email address which is bloopcast.outlook.com So if you have any feedback or want to suggest things for us to review in our future episodes, please feel free to drop us an email and you'll get a shout out on the next episode. Please also rate and review us on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. More engagement helps us a lot. And finally, please share the podcast amongst your friends and family. Help spread the word so that the Bloobcast Empire can become strong and mighty. Anything can happen in the next half minute. Hot dang, what now? Now we hit the hut. Hey, 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 hey!
Get a kid's soft drink in a special Stingray cup, plus a kid's cheese and tomato pizza for $2.99 at Pizza Hut. Did one of you gentlemen order a crab? No, thanks. We got the Stingray parked outside. <laughs> for a Stingray meal, hit the hut.